Hey folks, welcome to Josh's Worst Nightmare Oddcast presented by Denver Horror Collective. I am your host, Josh Schlossberg, surveying the dark landscape of biological horror fiction. For this episode, we are being visited by Daniel Brom. He is the author of the short story collections, The Night Marchers and Other Strange Tales, The Wish Mechanics, Stories of the Strange and Fantastic, the chapbook Yeti Tiger Dragon. His third collection, Underworld Dreams, is out now from Leafy Press. He's also author of the novella, Serpent's Shadow, editor of the Spirits Unwrapped Anthology and host and founder of the Nighttime Logic Reading Series and the New York Ghost Story Festival. Daniel also contributed an excellent story to the Jewish Book of Horror Anthology I recently edited for Denver Horror Collective, and that's how I made his acquaintance. And for folks who know what this is about on Josh's Worst Nightmare, I invite on horror authors to talk about an aspect of biological horror, which I define as living creatures, vital processes, in some way relevant to their writing. This episode, Daniel and I are going to talk about something called Beyond Setting, the Natural World and the Supernatural. So Daniel, welcome. And why are we going to talk about that? Well, first off, uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks for welcoming me here. It's it's great to visit with your podcast. Uh, yeah, we I was listening to, yeah, th- yeah, thank you so much for having me on the show. I was listening uh, to, to your to your podcast on your um, your thoughts, your developing ideas on the genre of biological horror. And uh, yeah, and I asked you um, if that would be a good a good thing to talk about on the show. Well, because it's a new, you know, it's interesting to me because biological horror is, you know, it's new to me. So new things are interesting. And it did it did ring a bell for me because a lot of while I don't consider my fiction biological horror, um, it's been pointed out to me that there are a lot of a lot of um, a lot of aspects of the natural world, both in terms of animals that show up frequently in my fiction, and also something that you said, you know, biological processes that you, you talked about, even possibly ecosystems, and that that pretty directly is something that is touched on in my novella, The Serpent Shadow. So I thought it would be great to explore uh, explore the concept of biological horror. Yeah, and look at some of my work through that lens with you. Thank you so much. Yeah, well, that's super exciting to me because, yeah, it's a very broad brush the way I define biological horror. A lot of people in the past would say it's body horror, it's stuff to do with viruses or whatever, and that's certainly a component. But in my mind, it's also the natural world anything to do with eco horror, or frankly, just anything in the natural world. So it's a very broad brush. And your stuff fits right into it, at least based on I haven't read your novella, but I did read Underworld Dreams recently, and took a bunch of notes, actually. And most of your stories setting figures very heavily into not just the background but actual plot and i noticed in the story notes i actually pulled out two quotes from your story notes that i think is really relevant to this to this podcast would it make sense for me to read your own quotes from your own story notes (laughs) yeah yeah no this is fun i love i love talking i love talking about uh you know genres and subgenres. thanks so much for reading the book and giving it such a careful read so yeah i'm really uh, really uh, excited to hear hear what hear what you're focusing on. Please go sure. for it. 
Yeah, well, I really enjoyed it. And I did, I put up a couple of reviews about, I gave it five stars because I really, really enjoyed that. But here are a couple of your own quotes from your story notes that are relevant to this. So you said, setting is the aspect of story that often comes to me first and inspires me to write. Uh, the characters and their conflicts are then born out of these settings. And then the second part is, in the genre of weird fiction, there is a long tradition of the natural world being connected to unexplained, supernatural, and otherworldly phenomenon. Natural setting and the weird fiction speculative elements are converging with the emotional reality and conflicts of the main character. So there is a lot there. Do you want to comment on any of that? <laughs> First of all, I'll say, well, I'm, I'm glad I wrote that and I'm glad you read that because, you know, yeah, you put it you put it, or I guess I put it more concisely, that that was what I had in mind when uh, when you asked me, you said, well, why are we talking about the topic? And that's exactly what I wanted to say, just getting a little senile about it. Yeah, my writing, my writing, <laughs> my writing process and my interest, my inspiration um, is focused, is focused on setting, you know, um, maybe that's a little bit different than other other writers, maybe it's the same, but what always that that spark, you know, as why we write, why do the stories come? Yeah, often the first thing that comes to me is is a setting. And when I when I started out, when I was a younger writer, you know, I would just just go for it and you know you know write write about these settings. But then as I uh, have been doing it a little bit longer and you know analyzing the process and thinking about it, um, both both intentionally and both trying to reverse engineer what just what is it that I'm doing, yeah the things that interest me are are characters and conflicts that are that are coming from these specific settings. Hmm. So yeah, in, in in the realm in talking about it just in the realm of creative process, okay yeah so we're talking about story elements, but it's interesting today to talk about it in the realm of biological horror because often often those settings are are um, places that are on the edge of civilized world. Often they are uh, natural settings. I write a lot about Central America. Um, and, in case, and in case I forget, um, I, I do appreciate those reviews that you've left. And you did one of them in haiku that I would ask you if you have it handy to read it because not only was it, was it a great laugh, I also felt like it really did capture, it did capture some of uh, not not some of like it, it really captured what I want to say about about fiction. So it was great. It was great to see you uh, do that as well. <laughs> That's good. Good to hear. <laughs> but yeah, I was really taken by well, your dreamlike prose, of course. So yeah, I wrote a a legitimate review, and then I do my haiku horror reviews that people can check out at joshesworstnightmare.com. So basically, the, the haiku I wrote about underworld dreams is seashores and wildlands, boundaries between what is known and what lies beyond. Because that's what really struck me. You did do a lot with oceans and a fair amount with kind of, a lot of it was, uh, I believe, even the outback. Some of it was Australia. Some of it was just these yeah. boundary areas, though. And to me, Australia, I've not been there. But of course, most of that landscape is pretty darn wild. So to me, everything is just like at the threshold of the human and the non-human world, which you do so well with your, with your natural settings. Oh, thank you so much. I mean, I, and I just, I think, I think language is important. So I just want to say that haiku reviews are legitimate reviews. <laughs> I, want, 
I'm on a new quest. Uh, you know, you might have a copycat killer here to, with the haiku reviews. I'm on a quest now to legitimize haiku reviews. But getting 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 back to the natural world, yeah. Thanks for for pointing that out. Um, uh, I wish some of the things you wish you you've done intentionally. Like when I first started getting some feedback on Underworld Dreams, people were calling it, yeah, oh yeah, it's a book of water stories. It's a book of ocean stories, and I'm like. Hmm. Uh, yeah hmm. like I didn't it didn't didn't seem not correct but I'm like oh wow like I didn't I didn't intend uh to, to write one story after another um with that just as I'm, I'm looking at the patterns in some of the work I'm writing right now and I'm like wow okay the last uh the last few stories that I've placed for publication all seem to have a jaguar in it I'm like all right is this next oh Oh, well, all right. Yeah, this next one, it, it has a jag, it has a cat in it too. So, you know, sometimes these things happen, but um, yeah, it's not just as, as a laugh. It's like, well, the, the natural world is, is it, it is something that's important to me. And even if I'm not uh, intending to write a story like, oh yeah, let me write a story about a jaguar. Yeah, somehow these things, um, these things are, are coming, are coming coming into play in the fiction. Uh, you did. You mentioned a story from Underworld Dreams, uh, the Australian set story hmm. um, was called Goodnight, Goodnight Kookaburra. And yeah, I think Australia, I didn't intend to, to I wasn't thinking we'd talk about Australia uh, here, but it's, yeah, it's great that you did because, well, we, we talk talking about biological systems, uh, both animals and ecosystems. Australia is a great, it's a great place to talk about that in fiction, be it supernatural fiction or otherwise. Yeah, that yeah, there's it's such a vast um, place of 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 wild space. Yet yet also there's um, there's human this human influence has also changed it so vastly. Um, both both in terms of quote unquote you know modern civilization, and you know there's and there's been Aboriginal civilization there for you know for longer than we can comprehend. And both both of those, when I as an as an outsider, you know, as an American, hopefully not an ugly American, visiting hmm. Australia, that was both of these things were something that really, really struck me. Um, so good night. I, I tend not to name or explain the supernatural in my work, hmm. but one of the things that's in going it's in play in Goodnight Kookaburra is a concept uh, called sacred. I don't know the exact name, uh, but they're the Aboriginal people in their in their worldview. They have sacred sites or sacred places, and those those places um, in their worldview affect the humans around them. And so, in one of the things that's in play in the story, it's an illustration of one of how one of those places are affecting the human characters and their conflicts there. Yes. Yeah. Well. Not to correct you on your own thing, but you have two Australia stories in case you've forgotten. But um, oh, what's what's oh right the other one Cloud Cloudland yeah yep. it's great I love yep. I love forgetting thank God that you're 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 pointing out the quotes I'll forget names titles and stories uh. <laughs> well yeah I certainly wouldn't remember all my own stuff if I didn't write it down but I want to just really quickly go through some of what I saw some of the biological horror elements in your different stories here, just a, just a real quick run through. So uh, I'm not going to name the titles, but just going through. So one of them, there was ocean and you had bats and sharks. There was a real focus on that and your, on your stories, then mm. the Australian bush. So then there was snakes 
lizards, birds, you have koala bears. And there was another one that was monkey first. So there's one mo monkey coat. Um, and there was a little bit around, you know, situations with that. Then you had bats in Australia. Then you had one that was all underground earth. So that's definitely setting ocean diving in Mexico. You had more ray eels, you had sharks, you had rays and palm forest in Panama. And then even to Atlantic City, which is where my grandparents lived. So I was very happy to see that that setting that I'm familiar with. And then you had Belize, the Caribbean Sea, mangroves, seahorses, manatees, crocodiles. So I wrote down everything that I felt like yeah. uh, flies. And that's that's quite a cast of biological horror It's everywhere. Characters. It's, in, it's in every story, even if I'm trying not to, like it's still like, if I'm like, oh yeah, I'm not, I'm not gonna be writing a story about this. It just, yeah, I can't, I can't help myself. <laughs> well, I certainly appreciated it. And I felt really immersed in the landscape. So have you been to all of those locations you wrote about or just some of them? I mean, not the exact, obviously you fictionalized, but like, had you been to Belize? Had you been to Panama, all those places? Yeah, yeah. Um, I have been in, I'm trying to think, uh, my process tends to be that I am inspired by places that I go to, but not, um, not exclusively. I, um, doing a quick rundown from Underworld Dreams and I think, um, yeah, most of most of those places are are places that um, that I've been to, and yeah, you know, we'll just focus in on one of them. You mentioned uh, you mentioned Belize, mm -hmm. um, which is a small country. It just uh, well, it's pretty pretty well known now. It used to be British um, Honduras, and it's it's located not very far south of the Yucatan uh, in Mexico, a very popular place called Cancun. Um, just as a bit of an antidote that that fits in with biological horror, maybe a bit of real world biological horror for this this person. Yeah, when I was a teenager, I had like you know many suburban families. I, our first family vacation was was indeed to to Mexico. So as a, as a youngster, I had a chance uh, to go to be be a real tourist. Again, hopefully not too much of an ugly American. And mm -hmm. some of the land that is now what's called the Mayan Riviera, which is these beautiful exclusive hotels that I can't even afford to stay there one day. When I was there, it was it was tropical rainforest and it was being uh, clear cut. Like I actually was watching it, physically watching it being a clear cut. Hmm. So that formed the basis of one of the pieces of inspiration. Um, it's not, the, not a story in Underworld Dreams, but the novella, The Serpent Shadow, it basically deals with a, a battle or an alternate history or a secret history of the Yucatan Peninsula of which way of some of the real world battles or cultural battles that are happening there and also injecting a supernatural element or explanation in the battle at least for the you know the ecological systems that are going on there so that was um you know when i was thinking about thinking about the show i was thinking wow i, I should have mentioned to josh um the serpent shadow really might it might be the most on the nose echo horror thing uh, in my catalog. Hmm. Very cool. I definitely have to check that out. So, so in your mind, setting obviously is never just background. Like there are a lot of directors who say the music, my music that I use in these films is not background music. It is, it's not incidental. It, it is essential to what's going on. So would you say that that's the case for, for pretty much all your settings? 
Um, yeah, in, in, in a general, I'm sure there's always, I'm always afraid to say sure. always or never, but, For sure. but yeah, I would, I, I would think so, you know, and that doesn't, that's not a blanket statement of what I believe fiction necessarily is or what fiction has to be, but it, it just seems to be the mode of where my, my focus is and, or, at le- or at least, a, or at least a starting point. Um, mm-hmm. what I, two, two authors that I uh, were an inspiration to me as a youngster were, were Lucia Shepard and Tanith Lee. And I think, and both of them, at least Lucia Shepard had a very Central American forward element in a lot of the stories. Tanith Lee had uh, secondary worlds setting very forward. So yeah, maybe um, as we, we think about how we became the way we are, um, I always like to read stories that take me to a place. So it makes sense that at some point when I wound up being a writer, either intentionally or non-intentionally, I would try to create those kind of stories as well. Mm-hmm. Well, you can definitely tell, or I can definitely tell that you've spent time outside, right? I can tell when authors, as somebody myself who spends a lot of time outside, I can tell when authors are not very experienced in the outdoors at all, because everything comes across as just generic. It's a green screen of trees or whatever. So I can tell yeah. right away that, okay, this is a unique ecosystem that he's actually observed and you have a skill for not just describing the details of the landscape which is important but you get the feel for the environment and i think that's why it resonates so much with the characters and then can start shifting over pretty easily into that supernatural because supernatural is going to bring a a sense a mood maybe dread your stuff almost seems more wonder than than dread it feels like at least Thank you. Thank you so much for both those points. Yeah, I, I really, both of those are really, um, really great compliments to me. I, I appreciate it. Yeah, just for um, being able to capture the uncapturable, um, right? It's something we always strive for, you know, people who write about the outdoors or that that sense of awe in nature. And yeah, as much as, um, as much as the, the work that I'm doing, I guess, is being classified as horror, mm-hmm. I think you know, dread, dread and uh, horror right next door to that is often awe and wonder. And yeah, even if I'm going to go, uh, my stuff is dark, but even if we're going to go through the dark places, I, a lot of the times, um, yeah, there is an element of, of hope or, or wonder in it, even if things don't, um, don't necessarily work out that way <laughs> for the characters. There always, I think there is an element, an element of wonder for, for the natural world. And uh, yeah, for me, it, it's very easy to uh, depict it as supernatural or depict um, the natural world's reaction to supernatural. Because yeah, if you if you sometimes if you've been out in these places, yeah, you can just feel, um, especially the ocean, you can feel the overwhelming <laughs> those overwhelming feelings of of uh, of being small for sure. Yeah, I would have to say that of all the environments, the ocean probably is the most frightening to me. Now, I I've swim, yeah. I swim a lot. I, I've gone surfing and, and stuff like that. So I'm not particularly afraid, but I've spent a lot of time in forests and deserts, out in snow. Just the ocean itself, though, its vastness, the fact that things can creep up on you without seeing you. So I think you you definitely played into all that really well. And, you know, with your shark story that uh that was certainly very powerful and 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 really beautiful and yeah like the horror classification not everyone loves being lumped into that but it's mostly a marketing thing right 
Yeah, yeah, yes and no. I mean, yeah, I never, I was sort of writer that when I first started out, I didn't, I didn't know a lot about horror and I didn't, you know, besides a couple of giants that I loved like Stephen King, Clive Barker, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't just know about it. Um, uh, and, and, but once I did, I, I'm very enthusiastic about it because I feel like it is, it is the genre that's big enough to accept me and big enough to accept a lot of other things. And it also, as a mode, it plays nicely and plays well with other genres, uh, even even going up to the mainstream. So it just is, it's just present. Even you know, even if you, you even if you want to write marketing, call it something else. Even in the supernatural thrillers or our mainstream programming, yeah, there's a, a lot of what people do react to uh, is horror. Yeah, it, it, it's all marketing until it isn't or when it isn't. Yeah, it's enough enough to make a small press author authors like us uh, a little mad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, not all my stuff fits officially under horror, but close enough, whatever. But, yeah. but all all the time I spend in the natural world, I spend a lot of time in the natural world. To me, it is the closest I've had to supernatural experiences mm -hmm. in terms of Sometimes it's just kind of like, you know, most of the time I'm walking along kind of whistling and like, isn't this pretty? And, and, but for me, it's actually been the dark times that have been the most transformative where I've been lost or I've been, you know, run into a bear or there's a blizzard whiteout, things like that. And all of a sudden everything goes like boom and shifts into, it feels, it feels supernatural. Have you had any experiences like that, that have imprinted? So, imprinted? so many, yeah. I mean, just 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 being right especially as writers and or intellectuals or students or whatever we are um, we're so much in our heads and when we're in the natural world uh you have to you have to be in your body even what even when things aren't quote unquote going wrong even you mentioned the deserts and i used to live in california and i used to love going to the anza borrego desert and and death valley and joshua tree and yeah you have to you have to have a sense of awareness um or, or you're, you're just not you're just not going to survive just the natural process of that is gonna is gonna take is gonna take you away but yeah i, I definitely can relate and then then if things go wrong or if, or if you're in a sense of danger yeah even if it's uh, you mentioned a bear yeah when, when i'm just around an animal that's larger than me um it does it does completely feel feel supernatural um uh, just and maybe that's because maybe it's a, our sense of disconnect of us as modern quote unquote humans of not of not really being in our bodies or, or our reptile brain or whatever you want to say like you know when you're around an animal that's uh, a fish an animal whatever it is that's so much bigger than you um, yeah you realize you know you realize uh, you realize what's what for sure right and that that could be a very supernatural thing even though it is a very natural thing. Absolutely. Yeah. For me, it's the very large animals and then the tiny, tiny, like ticks in Lyme disease country. I'm not a fan of those either, but luckily I live out here in Colorado where that's not an issue. So I don't oh, think yeah. about I got to be aware of them here in New York. We got to be aware. So yeah. Yeah. Well, that's where I originally come from is New York state. And uh, yeah, that was, okay. that's not as, not as fun in that regard, but yeah, we have out here elk and sometimes I get pretty close to these giant elk and I'm like, all right, yeah, you got to be on your toes. And in a sense, that presence, that awareness is being in that present moment, right? Like, because you might die otherwise, that's yeah. quite a transformative experience because I have to admit a lot of times, particularly here in Colorado, 
when I go out into the high mountains or when I go out in the snow, I, I have to pay attention. But most of the time, I'm just walking along, not paying attention. It's pretty, pretty um, safe. And that, that I'm kind of not as in tune with what's going on. I'm off in my head. But like you said before, when you have to pay attention, that's so you don't die. Well, it allows me to just be really in touch with things. So there is that element of supernatural, but also that element of just, I'm really here for once and not just off in my mm. brain. Mm, yeah, I, I feel every, every word you say, I, I definitely connected with that. I, I feel that, feel that for sure. Yeah, lots of stories or anecdotes uh, on, that would go to that, that question for sure. Yeah, well, another story of yours, so the Hand of Fire that you wrote for the Jewish Book of Horror, so that takes place in Jerusalem, basically in Israel. I don't remember if it's Jerusalem exactly, but I think part of it is, at least it's in Israel. And sorry, it's been a yeah. little while. <laughs> and, yeah, you uh, know, of course. <laughs> but you, so you, the setting there is, the whole story is based in the place. So the setting is not background there either. And while it's less natural setting, you still do incorporate yeah. that supernatural into the the setting and i don't know how much you want to talk about that don't give anything away but uh what can you say about that story well i'm i'm dying i'm dying to talk about it um yeah i've had i've had a chance uh to talk about the story a little bit non-spoilers uh with um some other denver horror collective members uh, uh on the burial plot podcast we didn't right. go into spoiler territory yeah it is it is a story that can so easily easily be spoiled and one <laughs> level of reading it is the um the structure or the explanation of it so yeah we won't do that but I, yeah i am i am dying to talk about that aspect at some point but um so you wanted to say well, what what can i say about the story and setting wise well i guess um yeah right like i wonder i wonder if any stories in israel are are not about the setting mm -hmm. in that way um um yeah, I guess uh, Israel is a is a right like it's a different it's a different kind of setting forward. It's not um, it's not about the the flora or or, or fauna in in that way. Yeah, it is. It, yeah, it, it almost is, is about uh, a political setting in 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 some ways. Yeah, in addition in addition to capturing a sense of time because it does it does give some descriptions of Tel Aviv in the 1980s and. Uh, Jerusalem in some different time periods there. So um, yeah, not exactly on the nose in biological, but it does. Um, it is a, it is an interesting way that's been pointed out to me of uh, of of use of use of setting in a story. Um, right, and like as you mentioned in the top on the top of the hour, that's how uh, Josh and I uh, came acquainted in the great project that he put together, the Jewish Book of Horror, which uh, you know I'm really grateful to have been uh, one of the authors in. Yeah, well, your story was very powerful. I, I used it as the second to last story and folks will understand why when they read it. Uh, I won't go into more than that. But yeah, you bring the setting to life and there is the part that's kind of underground. So that's the part that really resonated most with me. Oh, okay. And, yeah. you know, it could be underground anyway, anywhere, but it, it, felt, it felt uniquely like an old, civilization it, it didn't feel like an underground in you know a mine in colorado that's for sure so you definitely got the taste of that and that lent itself to all the rest of the events that unfolded in the story so i thought that was very effective oh thank thank you so much yeah so thank, yeah yeah you had, you had mentioned before about some 
environmental devastation stuff. So you saw some clear cutting that affected you, but your stuff doesn't really come across as like, all right, I have to cram this advocacy into it. But how, how do you sort of juggle that, the idea that you clearly have an interest in preserving aspects of the natural world, but you're also a storyteller, so you can't just write a screed. How do you do that? That's a that's a great question. Uh, yeah, great question for this conversation. I'm glad you brought that up. Look, um, yeah, I, I I agree with you. Um, I I known some writers or or would be writers that that care so deeply about um, either the natural world or about humankinds, and so many times their stories will just take a turn, right? Uh, like a character will pick up a sledgehammer and beat the reader over the head with it. And right, as much as you might agree with that beating, it's like that, that right, it exits the world of storytelling. Mm. Um, for me, the way, um, in short, I would say, I think, it, I think it can be effective to present issues, even present both or all or many sides of an issue, even if you don't agree with it. And in stories, have the conflicts appear either primarily or, or not, that could, that is one way of advocacy as in it's bringing awareness or like you don't have to, you don't have to say save the whales, mm -hmm. but if you give a story about, yeah, there's someone, there's someone or the sharks, right? There's some people who, yeah, we, we, we want to kill these sharks. We want to glorify it. And there's some people who are having second thoughts about it. I feel like at least, at least for me, that keeps it in the realm of storytelling because it's real conflicts and, and stories, dramatic structure can go from there. And it steers away from, it steers away from, right? Yeah, like preaching. That that was really an issue for me uh, when I was creating the story called The Monkey Coat. Um, that what you mentioned a, a bit of monkey fur and, and it's a story about something that, that may or may not be a haunted fur coat. And yeah, you know, my inspiration for that at one point was really, um, yeah, the mistreatment of animals in, in the fur business, but that doesn't make a fun, <laughs> necessarily a fun story, you know, 5,000 words being like, that's bad, that's bad, that's bad. Sure. So like, you know, uh, in, in that's eventually that became a story about suffering. Uh, it didn't become a story necessarily about the woes or pros or cons of animal fur. So mm -hmm. that was one, a real life example answer to your question. Yeah, I thought you did that really effectively. And I think you're totally right because as somebody who I do care about a lot of causes and I do try to touch upon things and maybe in the, some ways I've been heavy handed, other ways I'm still finding my way. I just wrote a, a novel that ties into that world. But I think even in the environmental world, a lot of what we wanted to do as advocates is get people out in nature. I don't have to just tell them about yeah. how important a tree yeah. is and how bad a clear cut is. What we would do is, and I would organize these hikes and here, walk out in the old growth. And then I would take them past a clear cut. <laughs> so I didn't have to yeah. say a damn thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Even, even just the first part of that sentence, I feel like, um, I think it's why education and experience in all ages is, is so important because, um, um, yeah, to experience any aspect of a natural world, you know, even as something as possibly controversial as a zoo, right? It's it's so important because in in our day and age, we just don't have that connection, you know, or or opportunities for the connection, um, you know, other than the small amount if we're lucky enough to have anything around us. So, 
Um, yeah, right, right there with you on that. Yeah, and getting people out there, they're maybe staying in their house, maybe they're in a city, but they can read about a natural area and maybe want to go there or just care about it. And I'm somebody who goes out to nature a lot. I also like reading about being out in nature, which I don't, I don't even know why I like that. It's weird because I go out there, you think it would be boring to read about a forest, but I, I love it. And I think a lot of people do, and maybe not everyone has the luxury of going out for a hike every day. Like I do. Yeah, I don't, I don't anymore. And um, some people who are disabled or people who who can't do it. I mean, I guess that that is a great thing, you know, right? Like it'd be great to, to move away from our televisions but for those of us who can't, yeah, there is, there's just been such great strides in, in advocacy and education um, on some of these television channels that just give, it's, it's maybe a second place way of, of getting that connection. Um, yeah, I'm a pretty much a newcomer to at least environmental writing. I, did, I do have a bunch of books that I'm looking forward to getting to. I haven't read that many. Um, uh, maybe it's just kind of on the nose, but you know, I did read some Bill Bryson relatively recently in life that he does a good and humorous job um, of it. And um, at least for Australia, I don't know if, um, if this is a popular thing or not. I think he's a really popular author, maybe outside of Australia. Um, his name is Tim Winton. And he does write a lot of um, just like a lot of, a lot of surfer stories or a lot of like literary stories that are set around areas that um, I find really, really immersive. And uh for that reason, I, I enjoy them greatly. Just some non-genre stuff. Huh. Well, since we're trading names and that stuff, Rick Bass is somebody who I think is really great about writing setting stories based in setting. He's just, uh, he writes naturalist stuff, nonfiction, but he also writes fiction. And because he's so immersed in the landscape, it becomes really central to all of his, his stories. And only once in a while does he kind of have obvious messages there it's just kind of like get out into the natural world so i I definitely recommend rick bass he's really great i just jotted it down thank you yeah he's he's just a beautiful writer as well but one funny thing before i let you go so peter benchley who wrote jaws of course right he actually had a guilt complex around demonizing sharks and i i can't recall if he actually helped start up some advocacy organizations but i do know in one of his later books basically a shark was kind of a good guy. Like it was, it was oh, an wow. incident. It wasn't quite a character, but it appeared and I don't want to give anything away, but it appeared in a situation where there's a worse monster and it's sort of like a friendly presence. So I think that was eventually being like, man, I gotta, gotta redeem these creatures. I gotta look that up. I, I'm always joking around by like, whenever I see one of these shows that come out, like the Meg or the Gator versus shark or, or one of these shows where an alligator or a shark, a different iteration of it mauling people. I'm like, more stories where sharks are the good guys, please, please at least just one. <laughs> and they are the, they are the good guys, but they are also scary as hell. I mean, there's everything yeah, about a course. shark that is frightening to a, a human being. And if you look into the aquatic ape theory, which I need to do a podcast on it. Some, so aquatic ape theory is an alternate human evolution theory. And I don't probably not true, but I, I like to tell myself it is. And we spent time in our human evolution, more partially aquatic. And so if that's true, we developed a real fear of sharks, because that was our main predator. <laughs> yeah, uh, or right, like, the, it, it sounds logical enough, as does, 
a generation traumatized by seeing Jaws too early or just seeing Jaws in life. Both, both of those things are kind of 50-50 on my scales right now, my completely non-scientific scales. I, I definitely agree. And I'm a, I'm a big swimmer. I really like to swim. And like, I'm always the guy who, if there's a lake or a pond, I'll try to swim across it just for the heck of it. And I have to admit, like, I, I'm always like the, the thing I don't want to have, I don't want anything to touch my damn feet. Like, I just don't want anything touching my foot. Like, I know there's nothing in there. I'm talking like fresh water. I'm still thinking about creatures. And there's snappy turtles in there. Yeah. There I mean, I think, I think there's completely human about that. I, I don't, I don't like swimming in water. I can't see just because as a kid I'd been, uh, you know, there was like the resident old man snappy turtle in the, in the lakes <laughs> that I swam in. And I thought for sure I was going to get my toe bitten off. So, you know, yeah, I'm actually more frightened of water I can see through. I, and I don't know how to explain that. But like when I can actually see deep, deep, to me, that's more horrifying. It's like seeing into outer space. I don't know. Man. Well, yeah, uh, you, you described that. Yeah, um, I, I wrote about that in right in Underworld Dreams in the mm -hmm. short story, uh, Pollen Car. Like if you ever, I don't think I'll ever be there again, but d diving on a continental shelf. Yeah, it is. If you look. If you look to your left, you will see light where it disappears down into right the, the unfathomable. And uh, if you lose buoyancy at that point, um, yeah, you're gone. So, you know, there, there's a real reason to not just fear, but yeah, like outer space level of fear right there, you know? Yeah. So the, the wonder and the fear, and they're kind of two sides of the same coin. And I think that's what right really great fiction can kind of impress upon an individual and i feel like your fiction does that in particular in that short story collection and so i definitely recommend people read your work and on that note tell folks if there's anything you're working on now that you can speak about and maybe tell folks where they can find your work in general yeah well uh yeah you can find um my website is um it's called Blood and Stardust uh, on WordPress, um, but you can find me on Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram, or um, or just uh, check out the book at uh, Leve Press, like the, riv the River Lev, or or Amazon uh, to connect with Underworld Dreams. Um, yeah, I'm fortunate enough. I have a bunch of a bunch of short stories coming out this year, and uh, maybe even um, my first uh, novel. And uh, coincidentally. All, I think all of those stories are a great deal of those stories. Uh, I think three out of four of them do have a jaguar in them. <laughs> One of them's desert set. Two of them are Central American set. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I just can't stop. Uh, I just can't stop uh, looking looking into it. So uh, looking forward to maybe I'll come back on the show after a couple of those drop and we could recontinue re this conversation about uh, biological horror, which is, I think, a great a great lens uh to play to play with the notions of genre and to uh play with notions of things that are important to us even outside genre so it's been great uh been great talking about that with you josh thanks so much yeah i'm so glad you were here and yeah maybe we can talk deep dive all about jaguars on the future episode <laughs> Yo, i'm the man for that thank you so much <laughs> great Thanks for taking a trip with me through Josh's Worst Nightmare, where I, Josh Schlossberg, survey the dark landscape of biological horror fiction presented by Denver Horror Collective. If you don't want to miss any of the great, and sometimes disturbing, weekly episodes I've got planned for you, be sure to subscribe to Josh's Worst Nightmare on a variety of podcast platforms. 
You can also sign up for Josh's Worst Nightmare e-newsletter at joshsworstnightmare.com where I share a whole squirming mess of bio-horror, including my infamous haiku horror reviews and my latest dark scribblings. Speaking of which, if you haven't already picked up a copy of my cosmic biological folk horror novella, Moline, from D&T Publishing, you can find a copy of the paperback, hardcover, or ebook at Amazon, Godless.com, or Josh'sWorstNightmare.com. Yours darkly, Josh Schlossberg.